You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Jordan Ronan, filling in alongside the great Michael Rothstein. We're back together again, Mike. Big, big shoes to fill this time, though. <laughs> By the big way, you shoes. got you got 30 seconds in before you called me Mike. Oh, man, Michael. <laughs> did I really? I did it again. All you right, did. So last time we were on together, I, I he told me he preferred Michael. I said I was going to do it today, and I'm 0 for 1. So we'll keep count, 0 for 1. Uh, you're listening to ESPN Radio, presented by... Progressive Insurance, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Michael, we're going to start here with the story that it's really from yesterday, but now the fallout is um, with Aaron Donald swinging his helmet during a brawl, a, a joint practice brawl against the Cincinnati Bengals. The question is, you know, does he deserve to get suspended? Should the NFL step in? Is there any discipline? Should the team be the one to come and, and provide the discipline? Because technically the NFL kind of says they're, you know, they're, they're kind of hands off on this. Anyway, let's actually, for the discipline part, let's, let's hear what Sarah Barshop, our ESPN Rams reporter, had to say on Canty and Carlin about who's handling the discipline part of it. I've been asking that same question around, and it sounds like it is up to the team. Um, because it's not a game, it is up to the team to, to decide that discipline. Um, I've asked if the Rams expect to do anything with this. Um, the, the latest we've heard is that the Rams declined to make any further comment about the incident and referred to the team spokesperson referred to McVay's comments after practice um, and kind of decided to leave it at that. But I do not believe that the NFL has jurisdiction to make that decision. I think it is the team. That being said, Michael, there's two separate questions here. One who, if anybody, should step in and do something? And two, is what Aaron Donald did deserving of discipline? Ooh, that, Jordan, those are tough questions. I'm going to take the second one first and that I don't think it is because okay. we've, both, we've both covered the league for a long time and we've seen joint practices and there are fights. Now, yes, did Aaron Donald take it to another level? Sure, you should not swing a helmet. That's really bad. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's tough because then – so I'll use this example. Now, granted, it wasn't a helmet, but Jalen Dalton early during one of the Falcons practices threw a punch, and a widely missed punch, but threw a punch at one of his teammates. That's still throwing a punch. That's something that if happens in a game would probably result were, in a suspension. Were there but, helmets on? Uh, his hel- Jalen Dalton's helmet was off. The other guy's helmet was on, if I remember this correctly. Now, so I have the other guy wasn't going to get hurt. I mean, uh, he wasn't. There's, but a, at the that's, same that's, there's a big difference here. You're talking about a guy throwing a punch with helmets being on, with the other, with the one who's taking the punch, helmet being on, and another incident where the guy's swinging a helmet. And granted, if he's swinging, it was a Bengals helmet. It wasn't his own helmet. He's swinging a Bengals helmet. There's obviously somebody in the middle of that that doesn't have a helmet on and can get hurt because you're basically using a weapon at that point. Uh, which I guess you can argue a fist is a weapon too, but it's a different when you have a when you have a helmet on. He's swinging a helmet at somebody who, at that point, is un- whose head is unprotected. No, that, that's fair. Uh, you know what? That is a fair point on that. But I don't. I just don't know. I I struggle with this because I just think at some point, if the NFL is going to step in, like at what point do they do they step in with every practice fight at that point? Because if you're going to do that. 
then you got problems because almost every joint practice has some sort of fight, whether it's good or bad. And what do you do with intra-team fights then? Like, I just think it goes down a slippery slope if you're going to suspend Aaron Donald. Of course, the Rams have said that they're going to handle it internally, which is basically code for they're not going to suspend Aaron Donald at all. So, And if they do provide any discipline, let's be honest, what's going to happen is it's going to be something minor that doesn't affect Aaron Donald's availability when week one of the regular season comes around. Correct. Absolutely. They, Aaron Donald is one of their best players. They want Aaron Donald to play. Yes, I, and frankly, they should want Aaron Donald to play because Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the NFL. Of course you want him. But it, to me, when you're looking at it, I just I struggle with just the concept of practice suspension because of something that happens in practice. I really do. I understand the the con- what you're getting at, but I just struggle with trying to do that. Of course, DeMarco Farr, the sideline analyst for the Rams, said on Barton Hahn, and by the way, he's, he's the Rams sideline line. analyst, Michael. so it shouldn't be shocking. Twice. I just did it twice. Yeah, that's fine. But DeMarco Farr said he – DeMarco Farr, again, played in the league. He doesn't think this is a big thing either. Guys are going to be hot this time of year. So uh, things like this happen. Like I said, I'm not condoning it. Uh, You have to do a little better job of controlling yourself, but this is not shocking. Like I said, I mean, within 15 minutes of this, I was eating a peanut butter sandwich and didn't think anything of it until I saw it on Twitter. (laughs) I'm fascinated that he was eating a peanut butter sandwich that quickly. Just peanut Where's butter, the jelly? Too, no jelly. I mean, I'm all right with a peanut butter sandwich. I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that. But, I mean, yeah, you, you do. Usually you, you go peanut butter and jelly. But, anyway, I'm on the other side of this uh, than you and DeMarco Farr. And I agree. You you want to – and I see, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Fights happen all the time. I agree with you guys on that part. Stuff happens in practice. This is a physical game. There's things that happen on a football field that, are, that don't happen in general society that aren't acceptable. It's a f- brutal sport. But there's got to be a line of things you cannot do. And taking a helmet and swinging it, to me, is crossing that line. Like, if it's not picking up a helmet, what is it, Mike? Like, my, Mike, there's darn it, that's three times. <laughs> it's all right, okay. man. It's all good. I'm, I am, I'm one Michael and three Mikes, okay? So I'm, <laughs> I'm failing miserably here. But, no, so what, literally, what, where do you then uh, draw the line? If he picks up the yard marker and swings it at someone, is that okay because it's just a fight on the field? Like, or where's the – where do we – if he picks up the bench – and, you know, smack someone over the head with it. Is that all right? Because it was just, hey, it's just a fight on the field. Fights happen. No, there's got to be a line. First of Swinging all, I mean, a helmet, to me, is over that line. And look, I saw it. By the way, you're talking about a punch. I saw it on the field in Giants practice. Damon Snacks Harrison, uh, the Giants at the time, got into it with Will Hernandez, who's now with the Arizona Cardinals, offensive lineman, ripped his helmet off and was swinging his helmet at Will Hernandez, Will Hernandez's own helmet, Adam, he didn't ultimately connect and hurt him seriously, so it got brushed on the rug. But at the time, I thought it was egregious. So it would well, be super, more, be super, hi- super hypocritical there. for me now to change that. That's fair. I think it's more egregious there, though, because that's a teammate's taking a swing at a teammate. If I, I don't know who the head coach was at the time. The Giants have had a lot of them in the last few years. Wait, so, why is that? Why if the if it's so egregious, the swinging a helmet? What's the difference between your teammate or the other team? Like, 
that, morally, yeah. No, that, I'll give you that. That's I guess fair. it's worse. Morally, to, morally as a it's teammate, it's worse to do it on your own teammate. Yes. Yes, it but is I mean, because that's the guy you're supposed to be in. Quote, I hate using the battle part of this, right? But that's the guy that you were literally paid to be with. That's the guy that you're going to be lining up next to because you need Will Hernandez. If you're Snacks Harrison, you need Will Hernandez and you need him to be playing well because otherwise your offense is going to struggle. Like, what are you doing, Damon Snacks Harrison? Like, that's terrible. Like, I, I get, listen, I get it. I'm not saying what Aaron Donald did was good. I'm not saying it was smart. It was incredibly dumb. But at the same time, I just, I struggle with that line. And by the way, if Aaron Donald can pick up a bench, which frankly, Aaron Donald probably can pick up a bench, <laughs> I, I want to see you the video doubt that he could pick up the bench. Well, it he depends absolutely. how long the bench he is could, because there's, a, like, there's a the, the, balance the, the, there. He could pick up the offensive lineman and swing his offensive lineman at another offensive lineman. He, yes, he probably he could. He could probably do that. He probably that, could. He's Aaron Donald. I would not doubt it. I, I mean, I, I remember talking to Aaron Donald when he came out of the draft, and we had a long, we had a great conversation about ping pong. Aaron Donald's come a long way. I mean, the, the question is, where's the line then for you, Mike Michael? <laughs> Man, I did it again. My, the line's right between Mike and Michael. No, uh, <sighs> I think this honestly, this comes at the line. It, it really does. And I've gone back and forth on a heck. Even in this segment, I've kind of gone a little bit back and forth on. It's probably the most wishy washy I've been in a while. But I think it's right at that line because I think we also don't know the particulars necessarily of what started it, what precipitated the swinging of the helmet. Was it just anger and not being able to control yourself? Was there something else that happened there that forced it? We just, Without knowing those things, I just have a tough time saying yes or no because I, do stra- I am right kind of at that line of like you said, egregious versus not. See, to me, that doesn't even matter. It's like you're, that's crossing the line of taking the helmet and starting to swing it. it, like, it that's like saying, oh, yo, he started it. You know, he kicked me in the groin so then I can then smash his face with the helmet. Like, no, you can't I'm not smash saying you should. I'm not saying you with should. a helmet. I'm not saying you should, but I'm also saying, like, if there was something that precipitated it in the heat of the moment, that's where I kind of want to know a little bit more about the back end of that before I would say it's super egregious or not. Well, the Rams and Bengals, they'll play tomorrow, 6 p.m. That's not the only action this weekend, the only sports on the docket. Tune into an NL battle, baseball tomorrow night as the Cards host the Braves, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, football begins this weekend. Week zero, college football, tomorrow in Dublin. What's in store for the Huskers this year? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. He's Michael Rothstein. I'm Jordan Ronan. We're filling in for Spain and Fitz. And believe it or not, Michael, it's officially football. See, we're not talking about any of this bogus preseason stuff that we have to cover either. We're talking like real deal football games that count starting this weekend we have nebraska on on the docket is probably the most notable game nebraska against northwestern in dublin ireland not a bad not a bad trip if you get to go cover that game michael you know no absolutely if you get that assignment (laughs) hey let's you got to go cover your game in dublin ireland Oh yeah, no. I, well, actually, a a friend of ours, Amy Juice, who went, uh, who now works for 
I believe the paper in Omaha. She covered the New Orleans Saints for a while down down there. This is actually her first game. She's over there. That's not a bad trip. Well, we're going to talk to Brian Christofferson here. He covers the Huskers for 24-7 Sports. Brian, thanks for taking the time to talk about the upcoming Nebraska season and the, the start of the season tomorrow, week zero. So I want to start with this because you hear about Scott Frost, you hear about the Nebraska program, and you wonder, you know, how much pressure is on him to win this year and really beginning tomorrow uh, in Dublin? Yeah, it's all the way amped up now. I mean, he's gone as long a runway as you could possibly ask for at this point. His record overall is 15-29. and 29. And I think people were pretty understanding the first couple of years. And last year they had, I mean, they did have sort of a bizarre season where they're like in all these one score games and they're playing right along with Michigan and Ohio, Ohio state. And you're feeling like they're not that far away from some of these teams, but yet, you know, they would find a way to stub their toe, whether it be on special teams with a meltdown or, or so, something different every week, they end up three and nine bottom line. That's what you were. And there is sort of an expectation now, okay, it's year five. Um, there's got to be something here. There's got to be postseason play, uh, you know, seven, eight wins, that type of record um, to sort of justify keeping it going. So I do think a lot's at stake. Um, you know, it's his alma mater and there's that whole part, but at a certain point that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your name is. You do have to win at the University of Nebraska and, that's uh, that's what's on the line now. I think we've kind of got past the part like it's the introductory phase and you've got this runway into it. it it's, it's a little bit of the now or never time. So, all right, following up with that, how realistic is seven or eight wins for this team? I know in the, Cle- the Cleveland.com kind of straw poll that happens, Nebraska's pretty far down there in the Big Ten West. Like, is this a realistic thing or is this kind of going to be really hard for Scott Frost to pull off? Um, I I think it's realistic, and the the reason would be I people would say that Nebraska's metrics last year as a team and a lot of statistics they're more of like a a six or seven win variety team, and they had a much more difficult schedule. They had Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State as their crossovers. They get rid of Ohio State and Michigan State as their East Division teams. They play in the Big Ten, and they replace them with Rutgers and Indiana. Now, I'm not saying at all those are gimmies for Nebraska. Nothing is a gimme for Nebraska right now. Uh, but the point is, if they play at the level they did and can clean up some things with some of the changes they've made, you can make the case that they could pick up a couple wins there, and then with some improved special teams play, they could pick up a couple wins. But, you know, you got to do it. And so, yeah, I understand where anybody would be a skeptic about that and say, come on, they haven't been to a bowl game since 2016. Um, but nonetheless, seven wins should, in my opinion, I grew up in this state, seven wins should be an expectation. I mean, it's not the most difficult thing in the world to get to postseason playing college football. We all know that. There's a lot of teams that are playing in bowl games that are pretty average. So um, I think, you know, asking for that isn't asking for the moon. So we'll see. But, uh, at you know, at a certain point, you can talk about doing it, but you got to actually go out and show you can accomplish it. Well, in order to do that, you need 
pretty good quarterback play. Like that's a, a big part of it, right? You have a good quarterback play. You have a chance to win a lot of games in, in any sort of football. So Adrian Martinez, he's gone. Casey Thompson, uh, he's he's the Cornhusker starter. Uh, it, it, are they going to – is that going to be good enough? Like what are you expecting from him and – is, is it going to be enough to help them uh, really win enough games and, and, and save Scott Frost there? Well, the question is if Casey Thompson can be a shrewd quarterback who avoids sort of that multiple turnover game that has sort of interfered with Nebraska's success in the past. Adrian Martinez was, could be a very exciting player and do a lot of good things for your team and play well for – you know, 90 to 95% of the snaps. And I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if he tears it up at Kansas State. But at Nebraska, what sort of did him in, and it wasn't always his fault alone. There, You know, he had some O-line struggles and stuff like that. But he would always have that one or two big turnovers in sort of that critical moment. And there were a bunch of drives where there's five minutes left and Nebraska's down three or it's tied where there's an opportunity to sort of have your signature moment. And it just never came for whatever reason. Like against right. Michigan last year, they're, they're tied, you know, with, with four minutes left. They have the ball. The crowd is all jazzed up. And uh, kind of a tough play, but he gets it ripped out and a fumble. You know, the ref could have maybe blown the whistle. Didn't. One of those deals. But it went against him. And it was sort of like that was this consistent theme there. And so Casey Thompson, um, I don't think he's just a game manager. I don't think that's why he was brought here. But I do think if he's um, can bring that interception number and the fumble number down that Adrian had, uh, that that could go a long way for this program. So there's a lot of mystery about what they're going to be on offense. You know, the coordinator is Mark Whipple, who was at he j- was just brought in. He was at Pittsburgh last year, had a lot of yep. success with Kenny Pickett, and so there's sort of some you know excitement about him. Scott Ross, Scott Frost, with everything on the line has handed the sort of the keys over to Mark Whipple, a coach of four decades, you know, to, to handle the offense. That's kind of fascinating in its own right. you got a head coach with everything at Brian, stake here, and he's trusting a veteran coach. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're tied up against the break here. We appreciate your time. Uh, Nebraska will be playing in Dublin Island, where they're calling it Nebraska East at the moment, Michael. So it's going to be a big Nebraska contingent out in Dublin when they take on Northwestern. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I'm Jordan Ronan sitting here alongside Michael Rothstein filling in. You're listening to ESPN Radio. It's presented by Progressive Insurance, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Tune into an NL battle Sunday as the Cards host the Braves. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app and at 7 p.m. on ESPN. We still got preseason football, Michael, going on. It's supposed to be going on tonight. Right now, the Panthers and Bills are in a lightning delay. Two teams that I find very interesting because you talk to people who went to Buffalo this summer and... It's kind of, you know, the expectation. They, they might, I, I believe, they're even uh, the betting favorite in Vegas to make the Super Bowl, even win the Super Bowl. Like, that roster is absolutely loaded in Buffalo. 
Uh, obviously, they added the likes of Von Miller to a team that was already pretty loaded. Uh, so they add some pass rush. Obviously, they needed something because uh, their season ended because they, they went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and ended up the short end of that stick. But really, really, really high expectations in Buffalo this year. Are you buying them, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're really good now. I mean, buying. I'm saying as a Super Bowl content, like they can oh, win super, the yeah. Super Bowl, not just oh yes. yeah, they're going to be good. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, man. I, I think that they are. You can argue that they're the best team in the AFC. You can argue that they're second or third best team in the AFC. Personally, I'm really high on the Chargers as well. I love what they did defensively this off season, and Justin Herbert and some of their offensive. Players like Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, I think, are great. But when you look at the Bills, I mean, they don't have very many weaknesses on their roster at the moment. No, maybe really some don't. of the maybe maybe some of the interior offensive line, particularly at guard, maybe there's a little bit of a question there. But you look at their skill position players, and I mean, from what we hear from running back James Cook, at least, and again, this, some of this is hype, and it's tough to get a real sense of running backs, rookie running backs in and training camp because there's not as much hitting, but I, I like what they have offensively, defensively. They add Vaughn Miller. Yeah, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White in that secondary. Getting Tredavious that, White is sort of like underrated. It gets yeah. remember getting him back. He didn't really play last year. He got yeah. injured. He tore his knee. So him coming back, I mean you're talking about an an all pro caliber cornerback coming back. That's well, a big might- thing. And Von Miller those are some big, big additions to that defense. Yeah, I mean, listen, Tredavious White might be the second-best corner in the NFL behind Jalen Ramsey. Uh, now, Jair Alexander's going to have a who's, who's Who's the clear-cut best? You, you have Ramsey as oh, I think Ramsey. Yeah, I think Ramsey. I think Ramsey's the best, and then after that, it's a conversation of Tredavious White, Jair Alexander, a couple of other guys that I think you can argue. Maybe even Denzel Ward I would put in there. I like Denzel Ward a lot. Good player. But so Davis White was definitely up in there. Now, oh, we're yeah, talking that's about what a guy I who's think coming he's... back from an injury. Now, maybe he's not quite that, but yeah, he definitely was that cal. He's that caliber of player to get back to what he was. No, and that absolutely. And if they can put that together, they are really difficult. Plus, you have to remember, and Jordan, you know, this living in New Jersey, I know this growing up in New York when it gets cold in December and January, if they can get home field advantage, that is as big of an advantage as any team in the NFL would have home field wise because they're playing outdoors, because they're playing in probably negative 15 degree weather. So all of a sudden, if you're an AFC West team, Vegas, the Chargers or an AFC South team having to go up there, you're not prepared for that. And that's a tough thing to simulate when you're talking about all the way down in the playoffs like that. That matters, I think, when you are a team like the Bills, like the Packers in the NFC, if they end up playing like an NFC South team in and they get home field advantage. I think that matters too. And so that's why I think the expectations are even bigger. But I like this Bills team a lot, Jordan. I think there's a lot of promise there. Yeah, there's obviously a, a lot to like. I'm really high on the Bills. I've been, I was high on them last year. They, they justified that. I, I actually picked them to make the Super Bowl last year. It didn't happen because they kind of ran out of gas defensively. They then went and addressed that this offseason which I think is going to make a difference. And like you said, if that game is in Buffalo, it could be, it, you know, it, it kind of changes the situation there. The fact that the the setting and the, the, I know Kansas City plays in cold weather too, but it's just different in Buffalo. Like you've it ever is. been to Buffalo, it's it's different. I went to Syracuse. It's, and, it's and, very different yeah, up there. And that, and that atmosphere is crazy. Now, the team they're supposed to play tonight 
is a little different expectations, the Carolina Panthers. And I, I was surprised by this. You tell me what you think. So do you know that in our ESPN, and we're both voters in this, post-draft power rankings, uh, right after the, after the draft, yeah, the Carolina Panthers were 32nd in our power rankings. They're not 32nd. now. 32nd. Dead last, though. Granted, they added, now. <laughs> they added Baker Mayfield since then, and that is, certainly makes a difference. But I was surprised that expectations and that their roster was considered that bad. They had the number two ranked defense in the NFL last year. I don't, I don't think it was that the expectations were that bad. I think that their quarterback situation was that question, and if they're going into but it with 32nd? that. 32nd? Well, here's the thing, right? Their defense is great, but – you're playing a tough schedule. I know that schedule because the Falcons, which I cover for NFL Nation, are also in the NFC South. So that's a difficult schedule as it is. And if you don't have quarterback play, you can feel at least decent about. And really, Sam Darnold and Matt, and Matt Corral were, are, is not a quarterback situation that you could have felt really decent about, in my opinion. I get why they were there because I like their roster other than what they have at quarterback. And now at Baker Mayfield, I think they do have a, a puncher's chance at – not necessarily making the I playoffs. Think could, but I think they can make the playoffs. I you think do. That's interesting. I, I, do. I don't know if they can. I, I really think it's do. still a tough That's schedule. That's a really good defense. And now you're adding Baker Mayfield, who's obviously we're t- you, you wouldn't concede, is a significant upgrade at quarterback. Plus, Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, we're assuming he stays healthy. But right now, he's healthy. Those are, those are some really, really big additions. Plus, they solidified that offensive line. They really went out and made a bunch of moves to try and fix that offensive line. They drafted Iki Iquanu in the top 10. Uh, they signed uh, Bradley Bozeman, the uh, center from the Ravens. Like They made a bunch of moves to try and fix that offensive line, which was a huge problem last year. So I think people are sleeping on the Panthers. I, I think they could do some, some real damage. Uh, Baker Mayfield now a quarterback. Ben McAdoo, my former guy from the Giants, is now their offensive coordinator. So we'll, we'll see how that works. Now, when we talk about these two teams – and we talked about the Bills and how it's a really good team and you know big expectations this year. It doesn't come – nothing comes without uh, obstacles along the way that they have to deal with. And something that they're dealing with right now is their punter, Matt Ariza, will not play. He faces a very serious allegation, a civil allegation uh, of rape from his time at San Diego State. Uh, obviously – not what you want to hear. Also, the, the Bills named Ariza the starter. You know, they had a punting competition this summer, and he became the starter, what, last week, I believe it was? Maybe this, no, this week. That, the, over the weekend, I think. Yeah, the, either early this week or over last weekend. So uh, it's a really tenuous situation over there. It'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out, both legally and with the league. Well, listen, so he's not playing tonight, nor should he play tonight. And to me, the thing with this, first of all, the, the allegations that have been made against Matt Ariza by a, 17, by a girl who at that point was 17 at a party and is accusing Matt Ariza and other San Diego State players of, of gang other, rape. One, one is, of them is no longer even listed on the roster. Is, so that in its, I mean, the allegations are horrible. Yeah, they're they're they're, sure. they're horrific. So Matt Ariza should not be playing right now, and, and frankly, should probably not be playing until something is resolved. And then, if it's resolved, not in a favorable situation for him, 
you know, obviously he's got big, much bigger problems than being on an NFL roster and, and should. But to me, the bigger the a question here is what the Bills knew and when they knew it. Now, it's being reported out of yep. Buffalo that they found out last month. So they didn't know after during the, the draft. draft. After, after the, the draft. draft. Now, yes. I don't yes, they I don't drafted know. a punter. That's right. They drafted a punter. I, I, they drafted him. Yep. I, I don't That's know I mean. how. I don't, I don't know if I believe that, first of all. Like, I, I'm always questionable and skeptical with all of this. But beyond that, my thing is this. You knew for a month that this was out there. You cont- you continue to let him compete and play. I, I struggle with that. And you're, you say you do due diligence, right? How much due diligence can you do in a month? And that bothers me because we always hear that with the NFL, with sports. I did. We did our due diligence. You heard it with Deshaun Watson. And how much due diligence are these teams really doing? I don't think they're doing anything. They're, I think they're saying it in hopes that they can, you know, assuage people. But come on. do If you're going to have this happen, take the time. Do your own investigation. And, and, and do that. And learn about this. And don't just try to sweep it under the rug. In the meantime, Ariza will not play tonight, uh, and we will see how the Bills handle this moving forward. It's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with, and uh, Ariza uh, also is going to have to deal with this personally because these are obviously, as you said, very silly, serious uh, allegations. So, Coming up, Nebraska didn't fly to Ireland for a scrimmage. We're talking Northwestern Wildcats next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You're listening to Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Filling in, he's Michael Rothstein. I'm Jordan Ronan. I'm getting better saying Michael instead of Mike here. Uh, it's been great this hour after that first segment, my man. <laughs> All right, we're, we're, we're picking it up. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by... Boost Mobile, a proud sponsor of the 2022 Department of Defense Warrior Games. With Boost Mobile, feel the power of more money in your pocket on one of America's largest 5G networks. Now, we talked about the Nebraska Cornhuskers, right? They're playing in Dublin, Ireland against Northwestern. Week zero of college football is here. They're calling it Nebraska East. Out in Dublin, uh, sounds like it's almost like a Northwestern road game. We're going to bring in Jordan Burnfield, covers Chicago sports for WGN. Jordan, welcome. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it, Northwestern's really been a sort of very hit or miss, right? It's uh, either first or last place in the West the last four years. Uh, what are we expecting coming into this game? Uh, week zero, you, you haven't really seen them this season, but what are we expecting from them coming into this game against uh, Nebraska? You know, it's a good question, guys. And when you think about Northwestern's last three years, like you mentioned, it's kind of been back and forth, right? They were in the Big Ten Championship twice and then had three win season last year and really struggled. Last year, their offense, was frankly just not any good. I mean, they averaged 16 points per game, and I think one of the reasons why their defense took such a step back last year was because the quarterback problems that they had really never allowed them to move the football consistently. And so what you had was a defense on the field basically the whole game every week, which, of course, isn't sustainable, and it's one of the reasons why this Northwestern team struggled. 
this is a program that, you know, since Pat Fitzgerald has taken over, it's not what people used to say about, oh, Northwestern, it's going to be a rough year. They expect to win. They expect to go to bowl games. And last year was obviously a punch in the gut for them. So very much like Nebraska, which is a team that obviously is looking to turn things around after a three-win year, the same thing is true of this Northwestern team. And I think everything kind of hinges on whether they're going to have good quarterback play because, you know, they've got an all-American tackle potentially in Peter Skaronsky. They've got Mm -hmm. two good running backs led by Evan Hull, but are they going to be able to pass the football? And if they can, then I think that they have a chance to improve this year. If they cannot, it's going to be a rough season again. We're talking Jordan Bernfeld to cover Chicago sports for WGN here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And you talked about passing the ball. And Ryan Holinsky going to be in his second year now as Northwestern's quarterback after transferring from South, from South Carolina. Where has he maybe taken steps to be a guy that can pass the ball consistently to give Northwestern what they need? Or is that is that maybe not something that's a realistic option for him? Well, I think it's going to be Holinsky or Sullivan, and Pat Fitzgerald has been pretty coy, as he typically is, when it comes to who's going to start at quarterback or how much each of them are going to play in this game tomorrow. Now, you know, Holinsky last year kind of got thrown into it, right? I mean, two years ago, they had Peyton Ramsey, who led them to the Big Ten championship game, and they looked like an awfully good football team with him under center. And typically, when Northwestern has had good seasons, you know, seasons in which not only have they gotten to the Big Ten Championship, but just very competitive seasons where they go to good bowl games. It's usually anchored by a good running game and a good quarterback. And obviously, you know, Northwestern is not like Ohio State, right? They're not going to have three Big Ten caliber quarterbacks that they can interchangeably use week in and week out. So last year, they were just trying to find it. They went with four different guys. Holinsky sort of emerged as the best of the bunch, but it was a weak class of quarterbacks. And so I think Northwestern is hopeful that after a offseason of coaching him up and kind of working with them, that he's going to be able to take a step forward. But, you know, it's not like he lit it up last year. This was an offense that I mentioned was worse than the Big Ten in scoring. So, you know, it's not like they're coming in with a lot of experience that, that was all that good. So if he is able to take a step forward, you know, like I said, I think Northwestern could be a lot better football team. But it really remains to be seen you know, how this quarterback situation is going to shape up. So with that being said, how open do you think Pat Fitzgerald is to splitting time or basically having them compete in the, you know, in the opener early this season to see who he's, who's his quarterback? I mean, he won't say, guys, but my guess is he's going to be pretty open to it because I don't, unless they know something that they're just not saying, which often is the case, you know, Fitz is, is usually a guy that can be pretty coy with this stuff as college football coaches are, are often, right? They, they hide these secrets like their top secret information, right? But, you know, my guess is they're going to use both quarterbacks fairly interchangeably unless one emerges. My opinion is they're going to run the football a lot because that's where I think that their strength is offensively. They have a pretty good offensive line, and they have good running backs. But, you know, which one of these quarterbacks emerges – we just have not been given any indication which one really has the upper hand other than to assume it's Holinsky because he was the guy last year. So my guess is he's going to be the guy that gets that first shot. And if he does well, he's going to be the one that plays. But if Sullivan is good, you know, there's certainly an opportunity for him there. 
We're talking with Jordan Bernfeld, who covers Chicago Sports for WGM. We're talking about Northwestern, who play Nebraska in Dublin this weekend. College football starting up. We talked about Helinski a little bit. He was a transfer last year. Again, a lot of transfers this year for Northwestern. Who's been the guy that's impressed you the most or maybe impressed coaches the most heading into the opener? Well, you know, they talk very highly of a lot of different guys. So, you know, they, they, they like their squad. They really feel like they're going to be better. And I think it's not really one guy. I think it's more of a holistic approach. I mean, Peter Skaronsky has gotten a lot of the attention, at least in the preseason, because, you know, this is a potential All-American left tackle. And Pat Fitzgerald likes to talk about the fact that, you know, last year they had a couple of guys drafted in the first round with Slater and Joseph, and that Northwestern is becoming a program that certainly can churn out first-round-level talent to the NFL. Um, He doesn't typically like to oversell any one of his players going into a season, so I can't say that there's any one guy other than the guys that are typically discussed, and Skaronsky is one that is typically discussed because of all the accolades that he's received in the preseason going in. But the other guy that he's kind of talked about a lot in terms of this football team is Evan Hull, their running back, because, you know, this is a guy who – uh, last year rushed for about a thousand yards and really had to carry them from an offensive standpoint when they just didn't have a whole lot there. Fitz has been very complimentary of him throughout camp and certainly is going to be a guy that is going to be an essential part of this team from an offensive standpoint. So those are a couple of guys. Fitz likes to, you know, compliment his players, but as the season goes along and those performances start to get into the bank, and then he's usually dishing out more compliments as the season goes along. Well, if history says anything, it's either going to be a great season for you to watch or a really tough one. So uh, we appreciate your time. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, good luck, and hope, hopefully you end up on, the, on the, the, the positive end of that, Jordan. Well, it, it, should be, it should be a fun one to watch. Both these teams, I think, are going to be desperate for a win, so it should at least make for a compelling game. Coming up, the Big Bad Cowboys might not be the Big Cowboys anymore. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. I am not Sarah Spain nor Jason Fitz. I'm Michael Rothstein. He is Jordan Ronan. We are filling in for Spain and Fitz tonight, ESPN Radio and Spain and Fitz. Presented by Progressive insurance and Jordan it's another big night of NFL preseason action last week in a preseason then there's a week off and then it all starts the week of September 8th 9th 10th and 11th a couple games go one game going on right now Panthers up seven nothing on Buffalo Cowboys and Seahawks about to kick off as well as the Chargers and Saints and Patriots and Raiders that's what we're looking at Tonight, but of these teams that have not kicked off yet or are just starting, which are the Cowboys, Seahawks, Chargers, Saints, and Patriots, Raiders, the Cowboys might be the most interesting one, Jordan, because of what's going on right now at their left tackle spot, and that is Tyron Smith injured out for the foreseeable future, and a team that maybe was going to win the NFC East now has a major hole. Todd Archer, our ESPN Cowboys reporter, was on this just in, and he explains how Dallas's offense might have to shift with Tyron Smith not available. Well, you look at what these guys don't have when Tyron Smith is out. Zeke Elliott, yards per carry goes down by half. 
the, the sack total increases by more than 50%. So you're talking about a guy that is, as much as he's been hurt, has still been an effective player, still was named to the Pro Bowl last season, even with missing as many games as he did. This, this greatly impacts the Cowboys because of the, how untested they are. But remember, I, I think this is an offense that was going to evolve and go back to that running game. How do you protect young offensive linemen? You run the ball. You feel good about Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard? You better feel really good about him. And Dak Prescott better be able to get the ball away quickly when he's going to have to throw the ball. Jordan, you cover the NFC East. You cover the New York Giants. Is the best strategy for Dallas to run the ball, you think, this season? Or is that no. kind of them making no. kind of, hey, no. we're just going to say this? This is the NFL, Mike. Michael. Uh, this is the NFL, though, in 2022. You're not just going to run the ball and be a run-heavy team. On top of that, what is the Dallas Cowboys' biggest advantage in the NFC East? What's Dak their Prescott. advantage? Dak. They have the best quarterback in the division. Like, nobody's even going to argue that right now. It's Carson Wentz, Daniel Jones, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Dak Prescott. Like, that's their secret weapon. That's, that's their moneymaker right there. To go and be like, well, we're going to be a running team? No, like, first of all, a running team in today's football does not mean you run the ball more than you pass it, right? If you're, you're still probably 55-45 if you're passing, and that would be a really heavy run team these days. Like, teams don't run the ball – like a ton anymore like it's a passing league so they just need to be able to run the ball enough to take enough pressure off that left tackle spot whoever it is they ultimately settle on they drafted uh tyler smith i believe was it was their first round pick he's an option at that position if he is trust me i've seen enough rookie tackles michael to tell you (laughs) that it generally does not go well it generally goes poorly. Like, even if you're a good player, the rookie year is going to have ups and downs. It's going to be tough. So they're going to have to provide help, use their tight ends. Dalton Schultz, a lot of chipping. Might affect their passing game a little bit, which means more CeeDee Lamb, more CeeDee Lamb. And as Todd said, yes, they're going to have to use Ezekiel Lally a little bit more. But it doesn't mean they're going to evolve into this passing, this running team all of a sudden. Dak Prescott, their, their fate this season and ultimately moving forward Rests on how good Dak Prescott's going to be. Right, and it's going to be a challenge for offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. He's a guy that's gotten head coaching possibilities. His name's been thrown out there. So this is good. if he's able to handle this and manage this well and they still have an effective offense, I think that will help him in the future with getting a potential head coaching job. But when you look at this offense, I agree with you. A lot of CeeDee Lamb, more Zeke Elliott. You do have Tony Pollard there too, but part of the problem for Dallas is – Beyond CeeDee Lamb, I don't like their receiving core at all. I think there's a lot of questions there. So if they're going to have to try and pass the ball like, and maybe have quicker passes, sure, Dalton Schultz is the option there. That's maybe the number two option. But Tony that's, Pollard I, out of the backfield. You Tony can see Pollard will be in. Yeah, that Pollard, and maybe that's what they end up doing. Zeke Michael Gallup should catch be the ball. back eventually. He yeah. obviously tore his knee, I believe, late last right, year. Right, but we don't. But you don't know when that's going to be. So True. Zeke Elliott, I mean, Zeke Elliott can catch passes out of the backfield as well. But the other thing, too, when we're talking about that left tackle spot, they could go to Matt Letzko, who they drafted late. Now, that would be a big jump for a guy from North Dakota to get right in the starting lineup, another rookie. So that's a question. They could also go the veteran option, and that might be what you see them do, whether it's a trade over the next few days as cutdowns happen, 
a free agent signing. I mean, that Todd to me, actually, Jordan, Todd Archer, we just heard before, actually yeah. called, uh, texted me the other day. He's like, is Nate, Nate Solder retired? <laughs> <laughs> and I, mean, I but, was like, I was like, I don't think that's where the Cowboys are going to go. I re- no, probably not, not. But to me, that's the that's the type of but guy that they might should be the go route to, right? That they're going. I mean, yeah, Nate Solder. I think you know, he he might be done playing football. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. But yeah, he, he he lost a lot of weight in recent years, so I'm not sure he's left tackle ready. But anyway, yes, that's the point of okay. What's out there? What can they get to sort of fill the spot as serviceably as possible? Because they don't have an immediate solution. Right. And that's that's the problem in the NFL. And Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner slash general manager slash team, well, even call him team spokesperson. <laughs> that He kind of addressed that as well in trying to explain. He can do whatever he wants. Exactly. And that's the, that's the nice one. You can pay the bills and make all the decisions. It's kind of a good job. But he explained what what they're going to try and do in Tyron Smith's absence. It's a setback, uh, but anybody will tell you one of the things about this game, uh, for the best uh, and really for the opportunity of the unproven, is that, uh, boy, you've got to take what you dealt and go on with it. Uh, we've got some good options here. Uh, we've got a team around him. We've got a defense that's uh, probably as strong as we've had in a lot of years. So we've got a lot of ways not to make up for not having him, but to go on without him. We'll have him, and we'll have him at the right time. I, I mean, that was – yeah, except it said, that, that he, felt he like rep- a word salad. But when he goes to – when he said – what stood out to me was when he says he thinks – he's telling us he thinks their defense is going to be a dominant defense. Yes. Like that, that's, not, that's what it sounded like there. Like he, he has really, really high expectations for that defense. And I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence. I mean, there's there's some Trayvon big-time Diggs. Trayvon Diggs. There's some big-time players on that side of the ball for the Dallas Cowboys now. The real question of this after seeing this injury is, how much does it close the gap between them and the Philadelphia Eagles? Oh, I think it opens. I think it opens more of the – I thought the door was already open for Philly because I like I thought Philly's it was pretty roster. close, too. Yeah, Philly's roster is deep and strong. Yeah, and offensively, I think that Jalen Hurts has a real chance. Defensively, they've got some really good players, including Darius Slay, who's an all-pro Pro Bowl-level cornerback. There, there are a lot of options there in Philly. Very quickly, I do want to flip to the other side of this matchup tonight. Geno Smith getting the start in Seattle in the last preseason game. Drew Locke going to apparently play a lot. This this still is the worst quarterback situation in the league. And, I mean, Jordan, at this point, you feel like they're just kind of waiting for the Niners to make a decision on Jimmy G? I mean, it feels like that, right? I guess if they cut – like, they're not making a trade with the Niners. No. I don't think the Niners want to trade him. But, yeah, see if the Niners have to cut him. I think that's a distinct possibility. They also – and I spoke to people in Seattle recently. They think a lot higher of Drew Locke, I believe, than everybody else on the outside. And I know De- Geno Smith, by the way, this is he's going to start all three preseason games now, which makes you think that he's going to end up starting week one for them. Uh, granted, part of that is because Drew Locke came down with COVID. He was supposed to start the second game. It didn't work out. He ended up being sick for that game and unable to play. Came back this week now. and it's But Geno Smith starting again makes me think we're headed to Geno Smith starting in week one for the Seattle Seahawks. 
and and I'm fascinated for it, and I'm actually here to see every bit of that, Jordan, because I, Geno Smith starting again in the NFL is not something I ever thought I would see happen, and yet here we are. We're about two weeks away from it being a possibility, and it being a possibility in other than the Seahawks, maybe one of the tougher divisions in the NFL besides the AFC West. Coming up next, we're going to look at one of those AFC West teams that's playing tonight. The Los Angeles Chargers, they're playing the New Orleans Saints. Both teams have pretty big aspirations. That's coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. The Saints have taken a 7-0 lead on the Los Angeles Chargers in the last week of preseason this is spain and fits on espn radio the espn app and sirius xm channel 80 we're filling in tonight i'm michael rothstein he's jordan run on and let's go right in jordan to that chargers saints game because i think these are two teams that a lot of people think very highly of heading into this season now maybe the chargers are a little bit more than the saints the chargers probably have a better shot of winning their division than the saints do of winning their division because the saints have the bucks in the way and but the quarterback the quarterback's the big difference yes me. absolutely that's right. the question with the saints they got a really good roster but they do not have justin herbert no they do not have justin herbert and justin herbert might be the difference between the chargers being the fourth place team in the afc west and maybe even winning that division when you, you look seem at, high on them mike i am Michael. i am very high on them i like their offensive pieces I like, I like that what they did on defense, adding Khalil Mack. They've got a good set of pass rushers. Derwin James is healthy and a very highly paid safety, and a healthy Derwin James really makes a difference on that defense. Jordan, am I, am I out there in thinking that they could win the AFC? <sighs> I, here's what I'll say. You're, it's not crazy on paper, right? But, I mean, we're sitting here every year, I feel like, and talking about the Chargers roster being good. Granted, this is finally, they finally have that really big, big time quarterback. I know they had Phillip Rivers before, but he was getting towards the end of his career in, in recent years. Uh, and then he went to Indianapolis. But Justin Herbert's there. But that, like, it's like every year they're close and they just don't get over the hump. It's like, don't we have to see them do it first? Don't we have to see them? Like, usually it's an incremental climb. Right, you make the playoffs. You get in the playoffs a couple of years, like the Bills, right? Like the Bills to me seem like they've made that climb. Uh, they made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. They lost a heartbreaker, but they're they're getting a little bit further, and then now they're ready for like that next step. You're saying you think the Chargers are going to get uh, make like take like three steps at once, right? They're going to jump from. You're saying potentially not making the playoffs, which they choked at the end of last year, lost the finale, right? Didn't make it, and then you're saying, okay, win the AFC. So how about I think how it's about possible. Make, how about I guess it's possible, but I'm we I'm saw not the Bengals really, do it last I'm, year. I know, but generally that I mean, there's outliers to everything. I'm just not willing to go that far with the Chargers yet. They have too much to prove, especially in big spots. We need to see Justin Herbert play in big spots. We haven't seen him in the playoffs yet. That's right, fair. right. He but we didn't his see first, his true, but I mean that that's that's the outlier. You're I'm I'm not willing to bet on the outlier. Maybe you're willing to go out on the, on the edge with the, with them. I'm not there yet. I'd I'd much rather stick with uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills. Is to me 
the two big favorites in the AFC. But the AFC, way more open than I think the NFC is because there's some really good teams in the AFC. There are, and that's the thing. There's probably like whole eight teams. The whole West. Yeah, there, there are eight really teams really really we really could good. talk about, I think, in the AFC that you can make legitimate arguments can at least get to the AFC title game. I don't so think you're that saying you have all that four many. Teams in, you're saying all four teams in the West? I think you can make arguments for it. I think some of those arguments no, are stronger than others, but I think, I think you can Denver's make arguments. A stretch, but yeah, yeah. I, but, but listen, if Nathan, if Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson can get it together early, I think that it's a possibility. Like again, I said that's maybe a little bit more of a uh, stretch than some of the others. And then you've got the Bills, and you've got, I guess theoretically, the Titans or the Colts. And then you've obviously got the Bengals and the Ravens probably in the AFC North. So there's a bunch of teams there that can make that. But you flip to the other side, like you're talking about the NFC and the other team playing in this game tonight is the New Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston right now, four for four, 59 yards playing, starting in the last preseason game. He is in the zone this year, right now, in this moment in the preseason. Get in the zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone, here on Spain and Fitz. I'm Michael Rothstein. He is Jordan Ronan. And Jordan, when you look at Jameis Winston, how in the zone does he need to be this season for the Saints to make a real run at the Bucks in the NFC I, South? I think the Saints are a sneaky NFC serious contender. Like I think people are, are they don't want to put them in there because they say see Jameis Winston, but this is a team that is a really good roster. They finally upgraded their their weapons like Okay, they don't have Drew Brees anymore. I think they got to the realization. Okay, we don't have Drew Brees anymore. We need to give the quarterback, who in this case is now Jameis Winston, more weapons. So, right, they draft Chris Olave. They sign Jarvis Landry. Michael Thomas is coming back. I mean, that's a serious receiving core, Michael. I mean, that's that's something for Jameis Winston to work with. And when Jameis was healthy last year, he looked pretty good. He looked more confident. He looked more comfortable. Uh, the turnovers were down, and that's always been the knock on Jameis Winston, right? He can make plays. Can he eliminate all those costly mistakes? He threw 30 interceptions in his final year as the Buccaneers quarterback a couple years back. 30. 30. Absolutely. Right, and don't forget, you're also talking about Alvin Kamara there, and their defense is legitimate. Their defense has Cam Jordan. Sneaky Their defense good. Yeah, is don't Demario Davis. They brought everybody back. Their corners are really good. Their safeties Latimer are good. Is an excellent player, yeah. And it's why Bart Scott, former NFL player himself, wouldn't be surprised to see the Saints be that sneaky pick out of the NFC. Listen, environment matters. And everybody wants to hate on Jameis Winston, what he was and what he is. And I know we laugh at him because he's a little quirky, hungry for wins, sucking his fingers and doing all that stuff. But when you look at what he was able to do in that environment, learning behind Drew Brees how to take care of the football, not no risky, no bisky, making sure that he understands that he has to, he holds the team fate in his hands every time he touches the football. If he's able to take care of the football a little better, you talk about the, the weapons that he has. Not only is Jameis Winston maybe potentially the comeback player of the year, Maybe he may be hosting a Lombardi Trophy. See, well, me and Bart, we're we're on the same page. Except I didn't do the, I didn't have the licking the fingers line or the no no bisky no risky line. You know, if I threw that in, you know, I, I could have the pizzazz of Bart there. But yeah, no, I'm on board with that. I think that they're they're a legit outside threat to make s- serious noise. And with an NFC that, quite frankly, is not great. 
No, it's not great. And I really can't wait, by the way. Can't wait, Jordan. Can't wait. To see what Dennis Allen does because that's a big that's the biggest question say, I think. Yeah. That's that the, biggest the biggest question with the Saints. No more because Sean Payton's a big loss. It's a big what, deal. Was it Sean Payton? Was it a combo of Sean Payton and Drew Brees? Or is it the fact that the Saints just have this really talented roster that they can overcome the potential magic that was Sean Payton for so long there? We're gonna find that out, by the way. Week one, they're coming to Atlanta. I'm going to be covering that game. So we'll see the Saints play their, their rival, the w, Falcons. W, easy probably, W. Well, but here's the question, Talk right? it up, easy but, but W. I, I, I will argue with you there in, in this. We don't know W. How, that's fine. You can say that all you want. My thing with this is going to be a survivor that, pick for people. That's how it probably will. And you want to know what week one, there are always wacky results and there could be a whole bunch of people that lose out at that because you don't know what Dallas, Dennis Allen's going to do as a head coach. You don't know where Jameis sits as in terms of health. When you're playing in real games against starters, I all bet of those on things talent, matter. Michael. I bet all, on talent. All of talent. those things matter. Coming up the show's namesake, Jason Fitz. He joins us. Spain of Fitz on ESPN radio on the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Spain and Fitz and ESPN Radio, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. I am not Spain nor Fitz. Neither is Jordan Ronan, who is alongside me. I am Michael Rothstein. However, we are going to go to the phone right now to bring in one half of Spain and Fitz. That is Jason Fitz. Jason, welcome to being a guest on your own show. Hey, look, this is remarkable. And look, if I get to hang out with you, like for anyone that doesn't know, Rothstein and I have known each other. We got friend relationship for years. So I'd have done the show anyway, knowing it was just hanging out with you. But my God, like my name's on it. So heck, I'm just honored to be asked to be on it. <laughs> oh, I know. It's kind of weird. I mean, I think back to when uh, when you were still in Nashville and we were trying to put together a podcast. We've come a long way, Jason Fitz. But I wanted, no I wanted to jump in to the NFL first with you because your team, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're playing their preseason finale tonight. They're up 3 nothing on New England right now. They're a sneaky team. Like, I get that you're a fan, but where do you think the Raiders fit in in the AFC West? So I think the Chargers have a more talented roster top to bottom, but I don't trust the Chargers coaching staff, particularly given their uh, want to go with uh, so much risk on fourth down. We saw that bite them in the butt last year. I think the Raiders are the second best team in the division, but there's a clear, difficult situation ahead of this team on, on the offensive line. And, you know, it was kind of staggering because I was on uh, Barton Hunt earlier this morning and Jeremy Fowler just sort of leaked out that a bunch of teams are looking at Alex Weather- Leatherwood in the trade market. He did not start this preseason game. He's going to come off the bench. I would not be surprised to see Leatherwood either cut or traded in the next 72 hours, which is crazy for a first-round draft pick from last year. The Raiders have no answer. They're going to have to figure out how to rework the right side of their line in the next, what, 15 days? That's uh, so that's Raiders, the only though. Major week- that. Uh, yeah, that's that is true. so that Raiders. True. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable with the, with the draft pick. That, that's such a Raider thing. You know, they, they, they've really missed big time on, on, on some guys. But I, I have to I have to ask you because you you just said something there. So you think the Chargers are the best team in the division, and that the Raiders are yes. second? Like you, you're putting the Chiefs third or fourth in the division. You really 
Well, you're really you're really going there with the Chiefs and pa- with Patrick Mahomes still as a quarterback. I just have to clarify because uh, it, it really caught my attention. It's like, whoa, I get it. I know that they're talented those teams, but you're, predi- you're that means you're predicting them to finish ahead of the Chiefs. So here's the thing with the Chiefs, uh, and and I have so much respect for Mahomes, but I'll never forget last year. I sat down. I had the opportunity to watch a little film with Ryan Clark and Dan Orlovsky. And in the process of watching it, we were watching Tyreek Hill specifically. And right before the snap, RC would pause it, and he would show you how the entire defense basically cheated pre-snap to where they thought Tyreek Hill was going to go by formation, which created right. these massive openings for Kelsey and everybody else. I think we're underselling how big a loss Tyreek Hill is going to be. And Harry Douglas tried to sell me the other day on, on radio on one of the shows we were hosting that, you know, it's no big deal. And I told him, I was like, look, you know as well as I do, there are certain guys that you have to game plan for. He called them game wreckers. Tyreek Hill is a game wrecker. When you take away a game wrecker on that offense, I think you just made the, the job of, of Patrick Mahomes substantially more difficult as a result. I think the Raiders can sneak ahead of him this year. I think this is the year we see a little bit of crack in the armor of, of the Chiefs simply because they're asking Mahomes to do so much. And that, that little opening is enough to make me feel confident that the Raiders and Chargers will be better. It's going to be really interesting. By the way, I'm with you in the Chargers world of that they might be the best team in the AFC East. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. He's Jordan Ronan. I'm Michael Rothstein. And we're joined by namesake Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. And Jason, we want to hit on college football with you as well. This is week zero. There's the interesting game in Dublin between kind of Big Ten bottom feeders, Nebraska and Northwestern. But next week is week one. There's some huge matchups out there in week one throughout the entirety of the weekend. Which one to you were like, you like, you know what? I really have to sit down and watch all of that one. Well, I think because of the national title implications that are in play next week, Ohio State Notre Dame means a lot. But the one thing I would tell everybody, I even talked to Mike Golick Jr., uh, we all know uh, he and I are close, and obviously he knows Notre Dame better than anybody. And, it, you know, it, it sort of shook me a month ago when he said, look, Notre Dame's going to be a very good football team, and they're going to get killed by Ohio State. I think we are actually sleeping on just how good this Ohio State offense is and just what a mismatch it's going to be for literally everybody along the way. So, you know, I, I think the chance to see Ohio State really come out and flex their muscle is going to be so substantial that's big, but you know, I, I that stands out to me. But also, like, there's a there's a matchup. You know, when you talk about Georgia, Oregon, like, we're just sort of forgetting that the Pac-12 still plays football because two of their main brands have gone obviously to the Big Ten or will be going to the Big Ten. Like, I, I think Oregon has a real chance to try and step up and make a statement to who they are against the national champion that's being slept on more than any national champion I can remember any time. So. I love the fact that early in the season we get a real opportunity to see some big brands go at it that are going to matter for the playoff ramifications. So you said that about Ohio State, right, that they're they're just super loaded. This is going to be a dominant Ohio State team, especially offensively, right? And then you look at Alabama. I mean, they might have the two best players in college football and Will Anderson and Bryce Young, right? So are we – I mean, is this inevitably headed – for a clash at some point between those two programs this year. I mean, that's, that's the way as like a moderate college football fan, like, you know, I, I like to sit down and watch, but I'm not studying everything, but everything I hear, it just seems, and what you just said about Ohio state, it seems that's where this is headed. 
Yeah, if you look on paper, there's no doubt. The one thing I'd say is this. I know everybody's going to talk about the 15 prospects that Georgia had drafted, and that's the reason they're going to drop off. But certain programs get benefit of the doubt for their ability to reload. Alabama's one of them. Ohio State's one of them. I think Georgia deserves to be in that conversation. Their recruiting classes for the last four years have been in the top five every single year. They have a great coaching staff that knows how to get the most out of those guys. Like, and, and everybody seems to be just sleeping on the fact that they are the national champions. I think there's a chip on Georgia's shoulder. And the schedule is always going to be difficult. Like that Texas A&M game uh, against Alabama means something. And, and so oh, yeah. if you're Georgia, you're sitting here as Georgia saying, we proved in the national championship that we can beat this Bama team. You got the monkey off your back. You're playing a little more free this year. Like I think the SEC could get wild simply because there are enough teams in the way of Alabama that it could trip them up. But y'all like, I would be stunned if that happened, if we don't end up with two sec teams in the playoffs again, it, by the end of the year, we could be looking at three teams that belong in the playoff from the sec as much as uncomfortable as that makes a lot of college football fans. Oh, everyone's going to hate that. Hate that. This is Jason Fitz. He's on his own show as a guest, Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio. <laughs> this is Jordan Ron on. I'm Michael Rothstein. And Jason, by the way, that Oregon Georgia game, that the fact that it's in Atlanta, that ain't a neutral site game. I live in Atlanta. That that's gonna be the Mercedes Benz Mercedes Benz Stadium is gonna be ninety nine point eight percent Georgia because they're not gonna let Oregon fans in. They're gonna keep them out. But there is another SEC team that had news today, and that is Auburn. Their athletic director Alan Green stepped away right now before the season. Like that seems odd to me. What's going on there? Yeah, so this is really curious because uh, everything's been tumultuous around uh, Auburn. And I was on College Football Live today, uh, was hosting and had the opportunity in the moment to talk to Pete Thamel as reports were coming out. And I think it's pretty staggering what you saw Duke's athletic director come out and say about Auburn as a program. And, you know, look, there are a lot of question marks about what Auburn values, but it seems like Auburn doesn't value uh, people that doesn't that don't necessarily have the resume that others want them to have. And so you're talking about a guy that came from Buffalo that had a lot of success there. He got a few years at Auburn. Uh, I, I, it's curious at best that there is a perception about the way Auburn hires that it makes this job really, really difficult to fill. Here's what surprised me the most. I talked to four different people today that I think have good knowledge on college football and all four of them said, I'm not sure Auburn's an appealing job for another athletic director right now. Think about that. One of the few programs in the country where you know you control your own destiny to win a national championship in college football, and you want to tell me it's not an appealing job to athletic directors? That speaks to the chaos of donors and what has become the underbelly of college football in the SEC and, frankly, major conferences everywhere. There are too many people with money in the pot that are controlling too much of the conversation around college football, and it makes for a really toxic environment for athletic directors to be a part of. I, this, this is this is bad precedent for Auburn, and I think this sets the whole program back five years because they're going to have to find somebody new. That new person is going to have to come in and bring in new coaches with them those hires may or may not be right. They're going to need new recruiting classes, and there's no patience in college football. So I think this is a nightmare scenario for Auburn, and I can't say that loud enough. Crazy now, story. For that to be the case at Auburn, man, I mean, that's just dangerous for college football where it seems to be where it's going if, that, if that's the case. 
It, it is, yeah, Jason. It's it's just wild, and obviously that's a story that you're going to be following on College Football Live all year. You're going to be following on your show, Spain and Fitz, as well. Thanks for taking a couple minutes to uh, to pop on here on a Friday night, my man. Boys, I appreciate you uh, keeping everything going for us while we're gone, and you do great work. So I appreciate both of you individually and together. Thanks for hanging out with me. Big hey, shoes thank to you. fill. Big shoes. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to wrap things up here. One segment to go, and we're going to talk a little bit about a legend you may not realize about who retired this week. That's coming up on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, along with Jordan Ronan. I'm Michael Rothstein filling in for Spain and Fitz. Thanks for spending part of your Friday with us. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to team up with Hello Alice to support small businesses. Get access to small business resources and learn about small business grants at HelloAlice.com. So Jordan, I want to close the show tonight talking about a few things that maybe our listeners have not necessarily heard about this week. Some that maybe will interest them. Some maybe they'll be like, oh, I didn't know that. And I want to start here because I think this went probably unnoticed to a lot of the sports world, even though it shouldn't have. And that's Carol Hutchins, who is the winningest coach in college softball history at Michigan. She coached there for decades, retired this week after I believe it was 38 years, 36 or 38 years Coaching, I actually covered. Caught my attention on the bottom line. I did. I did see that. I was like, "Oh, winningest softball coach in history." That that's that's a pretty big uh, honor right there. I mean, to be number one in wins. So I I covered Carol Hutchins at Michigan for a few years when I was covering Michigan for ESPN and uh, AnnArbor.com when that was in existence, and I spent a lot of time with their softball team. And I mean, Carol Hutchins, who's known as Hutch, is a legend, and she is a huge reason why softball is big in Michigan, why softball is big in the United States. What she did at Michigan, she became the first coach to basically take a Northern school and win the women's college world series. It's a, that's so hard to do because the first half of your season, you're playing in freezing cold weather or you're playing on the road. Got to be harder to recruit for sure. If you're a star softball player, you want to go to, you know, Gainesville or Michigan. Right, absolutely. You know, I mean, and that's, that's a hard, a, it's a, it's a tough, hard sell. That's a tough but she sell. She did it, absolutely. She did Very it. I mean, sell. she had she had a bunch of national team members. She had all Big Ten players. She took the Michigan team to the Women's College World Series over and over and over again. She built a juggernaut there. But more than that, she became a Title IX pioneer, a women's sports advocate, and is somebody who you see women's sports, you see their growth now, you see how big the Women's College World Series is, the WNBA is, all of women's sports. So much of that is in part due to what Carol Hutchins was able to do at Michigan. And I just don't want her to go unnoticed in her retirement because of what a big deal she was in that sport. And by the way, personally, She's one of the more intriguing people and most down-to-earth people I ever covered. When my mom was sick back in 2010, 2011, I was covering, and 2012, and I was covering that team, she took all the time whenever we spoke, and that was a lot, to ask how she was doing, took time to talk to me, even though if I was traveling on the road to be in the Mayo Clinic or in New York. And let me tell you, as a reporter, you, you, you kind of are baseline on a lot of things, but stuff like that matters because it shows the character of the person. And that's something that doesn't always have to happen. So Carol Hutchins, congratulations on your retirement. 
And I hope whatever you're doing next, you're, and I'm sure you'll be just as successful as you were doing what you're doing at Michigan. Jordan, what's really stood out to you this week? Well, there was an interesting story yesterday into today. Florida AMU football. Uh, 20 players not making the trip ineligible to play. Uh, so FAMU was down to seven offensive linemen. They decided, you know what, we're not going to play. They met with the coaching staff, with the administration, and they decided, okay, we're going to make the trip to Carolina to play. Obviously, guess what, Mike? Money matters, right? Yeah. Guess what, FAMU's getting paid a nice, a really nice paycheck, so they ultimately decided to make the trip. But. An interesting story, nonetheless, when you look at it. When they originally decided that they weren't going to go and then ultimately changed their mind and decided to make that trip. So uh, college football uh, starting uh, always, always interesting with college football and the eligibility factor. It, it is. And the thing with FA, like Florida A&M, right? Whatever. The, I don't know what that guarantee money was. I'm sure it was a pretty good price. Says, it says $450,000. Okay, so that that's not as big as I thought Our it might story be. That's but up on ESPN.com right now. That's not as big as I thought it might be. However, for Florida that, A&M, that's a good chunk of change, right, but that, sure. right, that, that will help fund their athletic department. That's why a lot of the, the smaller level football programs and basketball teams, when, when basketball seasons, then they take these guarantee games because that helps fund every other sport that they have. And that is so important. So I'm sure that's part of this as well. The interesting thing with that, by the way, and I, I saw this statement come over Twitter, I believe it was on Pete Thamel's Twitter from A&M, is that like they thought they had their players cleared. And then they you know, had the certification. Issue, yeah, right? they, they got them certified. And then they had and I want to make sure I get this right. They had seven offensive linemen deemed ineligible. Like, that's, first of all, that's like an entire NFL roster's worth of NFL offensive linemen. But seven offensive linemen plus three others. Seven ineligible and only that left seven healthy. Healthy. Right, because they had three others that were injured. So that's that's rough. And in a game you're already going to probably struggle against because even though Carolina is not great, Carolina is still an ACC school and they're going to cause some problems. Now, there's another story in college sports that I think won't get much attention now, but it will a little bit later. And that is Nicholas Sanders, the son of Barry Sanders, the Hall of Fame Detroit Lions running back. He's going to be a basketball player. He's going to walk on at Michigan State. I love this story because, by the way, all of Barry Sanders' kids are incredibly successful in whatever fields they've gone in. I cover Barry when I was in Detroit, one of his sons, Barry J. Sanders, I, th- I think that's what he's still going by. He actually works at EA. He works on the Madden that's game at EA. Right. You he's see him all over the place. Makes the, helps make the grade. Yeah, he's a ratings adjuster. He's other, was, that the one, was that the one that was a running back also? Yes. Yeah, Oklahoma he played State? at o- Oklahoma State and Stanford. Okay. And then, obviously, Nicholas Sanders is going to go walk on. He has... Other children who are very successful in their fields of work as well. So that's just a the, cool the, little The athletic story. teams are pretty good, let's be honest, Mike. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> basketball at Michigan State, uh, football at Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State. Like, uh, Granted, they're not Barry Sanders athletically and with his athletic achievements, but then again, who is? But to go to these D1 schools and be able to play or even be on the team, you got to be pretty good. 
You have to be yeah, pretty oh, athletic. Oh, absolutely. Listen, and and at the, now all of a sudden you got the Izzo and the Breslin Center, and Barry Sanders is probably going to show up a lot. That's going to be super fun. By the way, if Barry, if the Izzone is unable to get Barry Sanders to hang out in the Izzone for at least a game or a half, they have not done their job. And the Izzone is one of the best college basketball student sections in the country. That's going to be a ton of fun. We got a minute left, so I need to bring up this final story. We heard a DeMarco Farr soundbite before about how, you know, he, he didn't care so much about the, the swing of the helmet by Aaron Donald, and it, next thing you know, he was eating a peanut butter sandwich. What's with the no jelly? Don't you have to go jelly? I mean, I, I get a peanut butter sandwich. I like peanut butter, but the jelly just adds a different dimension, Mike. You got to go jelly. You got to go with the jelly. I like my peanut butter with chocolate, but I like my peanut butter more with jelly, but not in a sandwich because I can't eat bread. Thanks, gluten. I like my peanut butter and jelly as ice cream. We talked about this earlier in the show. Jordan killed me. Our lovely producer, Harry Black, killed me. All the board ops, my God, Jared, killed me. They were all crushing me, but peanut butter and jelly ice cream is the way to go. That will do it for us, Jordan. This has been a pleasure as always. Freddie and Fitzsimmons, they're coming up next. Those guys aren't there either. It's Teron Davenport and Marcel Louis-Jacques. That's coming next, ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.